Good morning, friends. My name is Will Green. I serve as Associate Pastor and Director of Discipleship at Foundry. As we continue our time of worship, I want to invite you to pause now and to find your Bible or open your Bible app as we join together in receiving these words from the Gospel according to John, the 11th chapter, beginning in the first verse. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the son of man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and Mary, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep.
So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened, he who not opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Friends, receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Loving God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts and all the places where we are, be acceptable to you, for you and you alone, O oh God, are our strength and our redemption. Amen. Today's gospel is about a funeral. It's something that we all know something about. A beloved brother and friend has died and the family and community are gathered around the rituals of grief. In the midst of the casseroles and the stories and the crying and the remembering, there hangs a question that so often lurks at funerals. Where was God? Where was God in the suffering that led to this day? Where is God now? Where is God? Both Martha and Mary give voice to this deeply human response to death. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those gathered also mutter under their breaths, could not the one who opened the eyes of the man born blind not have kept this man from dying? At funerals, alongside words like these, sometimes not really spoken aloud, we do hear words of hope and faith, words of God's loving presence, of hope in the life to come. And we hear those words too when Martha says, I know that Lazarus will rise again. But Mary, unlike Martha, can't muster any words. She just cries. Suffering and death are the human mystery, the place before which all our best efforts and all our striving reach their limit. It's one of the most persistent questions begging for an answer. How can you believe that you serve a loving God when that God allows suffering and death? Lord knows I can't tidy up that question today in a handful of moments, certainly not in this moment. 
right now as ever. There are people who are grieving. There are those facing the end of their earthly life. There are those who are journeying with loved ones as those loved ones near the end of their journey. We also know that in this present moment, there are people experiencing PTSD. There are people fighting temptations to fall back into the bonds of addictions and other destructive ways of thinking and living. There are people who are sinking into depression and anxiety, dissociation. There are folks walking on eggshells, just waiting for the stress and the tension of lost wages or hunger or simply broken relationships to make their partner or their parents snap into a moment of rage or violence. All of this and so much more as the result of forced isolation and the layers of disruption and loss that mark these days. Where is God in all of this? Our story today is not straightforward in addressing the question. At the beginning, we learn that Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus was gravely ill, but purposely stayed where he was for two more days, so that by the time he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, this detail is important because tradition of the time taught that the soul lingered near the body for three days, after which there was no hope of life returning. Jesus waited to arrive until the fourth day, until things were truly hopeless, when the full impact of God's power might be displayed. Now, occasionally when I read this, it feels to me not only frustrating, but cruel, like a confirmation somehow that God is playing with us, messing with us for God's own self-glorification. Last week, I reminded us that in John's version of the Jesus story, there's a clear symbolic theological frame for that whole book. And part of the frame is this. What has come into being in Jesus is life. And the life is the light of all people. The writer of John is determined to help us understand that God desires that we experience life in all its fullness. John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that Jesus came that we might have life, eternal life. And in John 10.10, Jesus is recorded as saying, I came that they might have life and life abundantly. A couple of weeks ago, we were led to living water at Jacob's well. Last week, we were led to that liberating light that shines in the darkness. And today, our spiritual path leads us to a tomb where Jesus arrives late on purpose in order to reveal the life-giving power of God's compassion and mercy and love. This extraordinary promise and power, not divine callousness or ego, 
is what the writer of John is trying to convey. In the story, the disciples remind us that Jesus' return to Bethany puts his life and theirs in danger. And I must say, in our current context, this piece of the story is hitting me in a whole new way. I'm mindful of so many who are putting their own lives in danger to be present in places of illness and suffering and death. And yet with courage and purpose, they continue to step into those places to bring care and comfort and healing. And Jesus does the same. Even when those around him want him to stay away. Jesus draws near and upon seeing the deep grief of his beloved friend Mary and those who mourn with her, Jesus reveals one of the most important things we'll ever know about the heart of God. Jesus weeps. And as he cries, we learn that the God whom Jesus reveals to us shares our pain, weeps with us, and is deeply grieved by anything that threatens human wholeness and suffering and flourishing. But Jesus coming into this situation isn't only to reveal the compassion of God for our human grief and suffering, though that's certainly a word we desperately need to hear. If that were the only message of Jesus, then it would mean that ostensibly God could remain far off. Sad for us, maybe, but incapable or uninterested to directly affect human life. Jesus' purpose was to reveal even more than the great compassion of God. Jesus comes into the place of death, a hopeless moment, the point of despair and deep grief. And he speaks words of faith, faith in the power of God's love to call forth life that is full and free even in the midst of death. If we pay attention to the story, we'll see that there were many obstacles Jesus had to navigate to get there, to do that thing, to offer that promise. There were those who out of fear tried to keep Jesus from showing up at all. We've already heard about them. There were all the emotions and reactions to the death of Lazarus that needed to be cared for before Jesus could get to the tomb. There was cynicism from some on the sidelines. There was the deterrent of physical discomfort. Things were going to smell. And then there was a stone in the way. And when Jesus had gently worked his way through the obstacle course, he speaks the word of God speaks life. Lazarus emerges, stepping into the light to have the final obstacle removed. Unbind him. Let him go. The gospel writer is determined, as is Jesus in the story, to show that God will overcome every obstacle to bring liberating love and life to us, even and maybe especially when all seems hopeless. There are so many obstacles 
in our lives, fear, our own emotions, reactivity, cynicism, defense against anything that feels uncomfortable, heavy things of all kinds that others have used to keep us trapped in places where we're not able to be fully alive. And the old clothes and uniforms that bind us to old identities and ways of being. There's the reality of suffering and death itself and all our reactions and defenses to that. My own struggle with all of this has been ongoing. (laughs) A kind of breakthrough happened years ago on one of my retreats when God and I wrestled over the reality of suffering, my dad's long debilitating illness, the deep suffering of some closest to me, along with the suffering of the whole world. On a morning walk that year on retreat, I saw a baby rabbit. It was alone out in the open and it was oblivious just nibbling on some tender little grasses covered in dew from the night. And I got to tell you, I'm a sucker for baby animals. Those things take me in every time. But I did not in this moment feel delight. I felt panic. I had regularly seen hawks circling and swooping in that field. I was so aware of the bunny's vulnerability, and I just started to cry. Why did God make a world like this? Why did God make a world where this precious, adorable baby rabbit could so easily become food? That year in the monastery bookstore, The volume that fell into my hands is the classic text written by Rabbi Harold Kushner, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? I had never read it. There's a reason it's a classic. The thing I remembered most clearly about reading the book that year is this, where he writes, is there an answer to the question of why bad things happen to good people? The response could be to forgive the world for not being perfect, to forgive God for not making a better world. Imagine that. Imagine forgiving God for allowing suffering, forgiving God for making a vulnerable creation, forgiving God for trusting human creatures so much when we're so likely to screw everything up. For me, this idea of forgiving God was a revelation and a gift. It helps me remember that I get to have my feelings and my griefs about the way things are. It reminds me that I am in a relationship with God and that God can take responsibility for God's own stuff. 
And that if I'm willing to forgive God, I might receive liberation from my anger and my despair, both of which, by the way, keep me stuck in the question why, instead of being free to move forward and experience the fullness of life. Kushner says that having forgiven God, we can reach out to the people around us and go on living despite it all. No longer asking why something happened, but asking how we will respond, what we intend to do now that it has happened. What I discovered is that acknowledging how sad and angry I felt about my dad, about my loved ones, about the bunny, about the world, Acknowledging those feelings all eventually brought me around to realize that it's only because there's so much beauty and possibility in life that its vulnerability and loss is so upsetting. That is to say, it may be a broken world, but it's a beautiful world. And this beautiful world and the life that we have is all pure grace. And though we may never fully come to terms with the mystery of suffering and death, certainly nothing has ever fully satisfied me in my struggle. It is ongoing. But even though we may never fully come to terms with that mystery, we can come to terms with how we will respond. We can have all the feelings. We can be angry at God. We can forgive God. We can acknowledge the obstacles that get in the way of stepping out of stuckness and into a life that's more free. If we don't, we can live our whole lives bound and in the dark, allowing blame and resentment and the specter of death to keep us fearful and defensive. That keeps us separated, not only from God, from ourselves, it keeps us separated from other people, from living a life that is truly given freely without as much fear. In the midst of this moment of suffering and death, how will you respond? Whatever feelings and thoughts you're having today about the realities of your life, about the realities of what's happening in our world, whatever you're feeling about all of that, the gospel teaches us today that God can take it. And that even though Jesus wasn't there when and how others wanted, even though Lazarus died, God was there and ready to bring about a miracle of life, of life restored. God was there and God is here. Jesus shows us that God will let nothing stand in the way of drawing near to love us into life 
to liberate us into love for others and to hold us gently, even when all we can do is cry. The thing that Kushner doesn't have, and I remember thinking even that year as I was learning and being given this new gift, is that the peace missing is the promise of this gospel. And that's the promise of resurrection. That's the promise of Jesus. That's the promise that it's not just about doing the best we can in the midst of suffering and the death. It's, it's doing the best we can knowing that God is going to help bring new life, that God is with us with the promise of new life in this world and in the world to come. Thanks be to God. Let all the people in the sound of my voice say together, Amen. Friends, earlier in our service, you were invited to find an object which represented an obstacle in your life, which kept you from fully stepping into the fullness of God's love through Jesus. Much like the stone placed in front of Lazarus' tomb kept him bound in death. I want to invite you now to take that object, or if you don't have something physically with you, maybe you're just listening online to call it to mind, uh, whatever this obstacle might be that gets in your way. Um, and just if you have something, I invite you to take it in your hand or hold it in your mind and to consider for a moment, what is the power of this obstacle? How does it get in the way? How does it define your relationships with other people? How does it constrain the way that you share God's love and grace in the world? This is a stone that for me reminds me of a place, a place which always calls me back to uh, something I learned that I need to learn again and again. If I forget it, I trip up and I retreat back into that tomb. I don't step fully out into the world. That's what this is for me. Whatever you're holding now, whatever it means, we invite you to take a moment and place it on the altar space, your worshipful space that you're creating, and to offer it up to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, you know what's in the way. You know our greatest need and you know the challenge that we face. For some of us, so many challenges. Help us, O oh God, to receive anew the promise of your presence, your deep compassion, and your power to bring new life into ours and into the life of this beautiful broken world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.